Hello. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hey, this is nice and clear, isn't it? Well, that's good. I've got my magic uh, Apple headset on and this sounds beautiful at this end. That's Paul Brislin, PR man for IT companies and go-to technology expert for media. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and today on The Detail, anyone who's still working is working from home. We look at the social and technology challenges of the big shift, plus self-isolation in my own backyard. The hotel manager didn't want to come anywhere near me. He didn't want to touch anything that I had touched. He basically treated me like I had leprosy. More from my own guest Zach Fleming shortly, but back to Paul Brislin. I am in Datacom's head office down on Gaunt Street in the city. I'm helping these guys out with their comms team for the foreseeable future because they don't have one. And uh, with six and a half thousand staff, they really need to have a better way of communicating internally and externally. So I'm just setting all of that up for them. Now, normally, Paul, well, we, we were going to get you into the studio today, but because of COVID-19, we've stopped exactly. virtually all face-to-face interviews. And that, mm. it's a shame, isn't it? Because, as you know, you get your best interviews or your best have your you best do. conversation when you're face-to-face. But that's yeah. the way it is. But it is what it is. So now we're on Skype, and you say you've got your yes. super-duper headphones on. So what, what makes have, them so special? This is the Apple um, AirPod Pro. So they are noise-canceling headphones. They listen to the sound inside your ears 200 times a second, and they modulate the tone and the quality of the uh, sound coming in from outside. So when you put them on, it is literally like everything goes away. You know, you get a lot of tech gear and you try it and you go, oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, it's not life-changing. These I don't think I could do without at the moment. It sounds like you work for Apple, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, no, they are actually in the building, I discovered today. They're up on level six. I didn't realise they were in here, but um, no. And speaking of kit, that is becoming more and more essential right now, isn't it? It is. Being able to work remotely is, uh, is the new black. Business New Zealand estimates at least 10% of the country's workers will start working from home today because of the COVID-19 pandemic. That was yesterday morning. By two o'clock, it had escalated to this. The Prime Minister says everyone will now have to go into self-isolation to stem the transmission of COVID-19. The alert level status was raised from level two to level three this afternoon and will be raised to level four in 48 hours. One of the things we're doing here is sending the entire workforce home, six and a half thousand staff uh, across four or five time zones. Everybody's going to work from home, which means running a company that size remotely. People are on shared services. Um, We're using Microsoft Teams, we're using Skype, we're using whatever needs to be done to communicate with each other and with customers and keep the the ship afloat. So that's uh, quite a mission. What kind of company is Datacom? They do a range of things in the IT space, as you'd guess from the name. They're um, uh, software producers, they make applications, they run payroll systems, they do big back office integrations for government departments, uh, things of that sort. They've got a contact centre in Australia that's about 2,000 people. It's a, it's a massive beast of a thing. And it's a Kiwi company. Nobody's ever heard of them. No, because they're not on the stock market. They are no, private company. Privately held. So, Paul, what would be the most challenging thing for a company like this, getting all its workers to work remotely, work from home? 
One of the biggest issues really, um, well, you've got a number of things you've got to consider. Cybersecurity is a big one because, you know, you're entrusted with customer data. You're, normally you're working in an office and, and that's, that's usually a fairly heavily policed environment uh, from a cybersecurity point of view. But when you're working from home, of course, everything's a little bit more lax. And do you have the same level of access to uh, back office systems as you would have working in the office? So we've got this concept of remote working, but somebody once said to me, you don't want to be working in a company that is remote friendly. You want to work for a company that is remote first, a company that thinks about making sure everyone who is outside the office is as able to access the tools they need as the people inside the office. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of companies are going to be finding out the hard way if they're not careful in the next few weeks. That's easier said than done. And um, it's not until you try to access that thing you only do once a year that you discover, oh, uh, I need that password or I need that piece of equipment and it's in the office. That privacy concern, would that apply to a lot of companies that are now looking at getting their workers to do their jobs from home? Yeah, absolutely. For, for the companies that deal with customer data uh, and also for companies, you know, HR systems within companies dealing with staff themselves, you've got to really consider how are you handling that information? How is it being stored? Who's got access to it? And uh, a lot of the protections you might have in place traditionally are, well, the payroll team sits in an office and it's locked. Well, now if the payroll team's sitting at home, what are you actually going to do to make sure that they can still access this data, but it's still in a secure environment? So companies will be working through their business continuity plans, and that will be a, a key part of it. Uh, hopefully, they've, they've thought about this in advance and are just actioning plans. But for a lot of companies, especially the medium size and the smaller ones, uh, this will be the first time they've had to think about this kind of thing. Don Good heads the Waikato Chamber of Commerce. He says large companies have trialled all staff working from home quite successfully, but smaller businesses may struggle. There's going to be a real mixed bag out there, and I'm not sure the government at this stage has got their handle on uh, how everyone is going to cope. He says working from home isn't likely to be a problem once any technical hurdles are sorted. In a situation like this, you do have to trust staff. There is no question of that. You can't be sitting there um, looking at them all the time. Um, but the technology is there. you just got to be, become uh, familiar with it. Do you get the feeling that companies are prepared for something like this? Well, it's always difficult to, uh, to prepare for the specific issue that's going to come up. Here in New Zealand, we see a lot of companies that are prepared for an earthquake or something like that that locks you out of the building for a period of time. Wellington and Christchurch businesses in particular have had to activate these plans, so they're well-versed in them. But when it's a, a pandemic and something like this, which has grown from just a piece in the news we have to keep an eye on through to, no, we're actually going to send everybody home in the course of, what, four weeks, five weeks, that requires a quite a different approach. And uh, the evidence I've seen so far is that most companies are treating this seriously and getting on and realise that they have to do this well if they're going to weather the storm and come out the other side uh, still with a, a viable business. Okay, so people are being sent home. I mean, what do people need? Is it simply a laptop and good internet connection? Well, um, yeah, that's, a, that's a very good start. It, it does largely depend on the job. But if we take um, most of the office jobs that we've got around the place, you do literally need that. You need a computer at home, something that can access the, uh, the systems you need remotely. A good internet connection is very important. And that's why 
I'm uh, extremely pleased to be here in New Zealand and not sitting in Australia, for instance, where their internet connection is nowhere near as good. We've got the ultra-fast broadband network here in New Zealand, so most urban areas and, and plenty of the suburban areas have fibre to the home, uh, and that will give you a huge leg up. That is um, as good a connection as you would get in the office. But you also need to think about all those other things. Did I bring my charger with me? I have RSI, so I've got a, a very curvy keyboard. Is that in the office or is it in, at home? Do I need to bring in another monitor? Because, um, well, the one on the computer at home is okay for surfing the net and email, but I'm a software developer, so maybe I need two monitors, you know, all those kinds of things. Am I going to be able to work at this kitchen desk um, for, for six months while my family and kids and everybody else is running around me? Do I have an alternative location that I can get out so I, you know, I, I keep some sanity about myself and I'm not just trapped in the house all day long? All those kinds of things come into play there. Yeah, it's interesting because my son, who's at university in Wellington, he's saying that students are complaining because they don't have the decent screens and they don't have yep. the decent workspaces. So I guess yeah, it's not yeah. just it's not just workers; it's students in this situation yeah. sitting around the kitchen table Absolutely. with with their flatmates yeah. working or studying. Well, and what does that mean for your internet connection? You know, um, it's it's one thing to have. Uh, an internet connection that's okay for a couple of you doing the odd bit of email and maybe watching a bit of television. But when there's four of you trying to work from home, uh, do you need to increase your capacity? Craig Young from 2NZ Telecommunications Users Association says data caps could pose a problem for people working online from home. Now we have, as an organisation, reached out to some of those companies and suggested that in this time they might look to a special circumstance of making those unlimited. So people do feel comfortable working at home and not worrying about whether they're going to hit their data limits. We remember that still at the moment a fibre install is free and so is a fixed wireless install. In most cases is still um, in, subsidised by the government as well. Some of these technology products that are popping up, they're sort of almost becoming commonplace. This thing called Zoom Pro, which I've heard about for the yep. first time. What is that? <laughs> well, these are all, uh, there are two sets of tools that are really coming to the fore at the moment. One of them is the video conferencing uh, capability. And we're all used to hearing about Skype calls or FaceTime. Uh, there are a range of those and Zoom fits into that category. And they're ways of um, making use of the, the hardware you've got on you, uh, either in the phone or in the laptop, uh, to make a video call. And it was science fiction a few years ago, and, and we all sort of went, oh, that's never going to catch on when it finally did launch. But now it's quite useful. Uh, I've been on, uh, let me see, four video calls this morning with different teams. Um, nobody's um, sitting next to each other. They're all dispersed around the place. Um, we, we can see each other. You can see who's talking. The quality is pretty good. Uh, you do have to get over that first five minutes where you, you debug the system and everybody says, uh, I, I can't hear you, turn on your microphone. Oh, who's sitting in a cafe? Can you turn off your microphone? All that kind of stuff goes mm. on. We do all of that as well. And then we finally get going with the meeting. And uh, it, it is very uh, empowering to be able to see people as they're talking. Do you find, you know, with all this video conferencing that you're doing, that sense of dislocation, how much does it matter? Less and less. Uh, in the early days of any kind of working from home scenario, if you're not used to it, it is incredibly dislocating. 
this idea that suddenly you're you're in the wrong environment that can be quite jarring you know you're at the kitchen table you're in your home office uh, and suddenly but you're being professional i know one guy who has been working from home for years uh, he literally leaves the house in the morning and walks around the block and then comes in to his office in the basement of the house hmm. because it gives him that sense of distance from that's my home life and this is now my work life but it's not going to work for everyone trying to conduct a conference or a meeting of some kind while the kids are running around or um, you've got flatmates who are also doing the same thing. That's going to be challenging for a lot of people. And that dislocation suddenly becomes a very real problem because you're not in the right place doing the right thing. Uh, you're blurring these two worlds together. And that can be really quite a problem for people. Just lastly, Paul, have you got a favourite when you're when you're looking on social media to, today at all the, the jokes and yeah. things? Any favourites from today? I love seeing um, all the people in uh, Italy and now in Spain as well singing. I grew up in uh, in North Wales, and uh, we sing at the drop of a hat. And having people who are physically unable to touch each other reaching out and singing across the balconies and creating a choir out of all of this craziness. Um, that gives me huge heart, and I, I really do enjoy seeing that. It's tremendous. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Do you think we'd ever achieve that in New Zealand? Well, not if I'm joining in, because I'm uh, tone deaf and can't sing to save myself. <laughs> Those are Italians in isolation. Much closer to home is Zach Fleming. He's a reporter for News Hub and he's spending nearly two weeks in our sleep out. Zach flew to Hawaii last Wednesday to get his green card stamped. He'd won it in a lottery and he was running out of time to activate it. He had to go to the US and Hawaii was looking less dangerous for COVID-19 than the West Coast. He was away for less than two days, but things changed dramatically in that time. So last Wednesday, the Prime Minister hadn't yet closed our border entirely to, to all non-citizens or residents. Last Wednesday, we were at the stage where everyone entering New Zealand had to self-isolate for 14 days. And we, and we were still having those conversations about why weren't tourists self-isolating? How do we enforce this kind of rule and all that sort of stuff? So the, the panic, I don't think, hadn't quite set in, not, not for me and, and not for other people, I don't think either. So things changed really rapidly just in that very short time that you were out of the country yeah so when I left the country it was just everyone coming back had to self-isolate for 14 days and I was pretty confident that the prime minister would shut the borders but not shut the borders by the time I got back because I was only going to be gone for, for less than 48 hours but I was in Honolulu the night before I was supposed to leave I think it was 14 or 15 hours before my plane was due to leave and and then I heard the news that the Prime Minister was holding that extraordinary press conference after her emergency cabinet meeting and thought oh no you know she's going to close the borders this is actually going to happen and I was sitting yeah, alone in my hotel room in Honolulu watching the Prime Minister's press conference live and hearing her say that she was shutting the borders effective with four hours notice. From 11.59pm tonight we will close our border to any non-residents and citizens attempting to travel here. This will stop tourists or temporary visa holders, including students or temporary workers, from coming to and entering into New Zealand. 
really terrified me. I I was really worried that my flight wouldn't leave because I was with Hawaiian Airlines, and and obviously if you're within New Zealand, you have a bit more of an expectation that that flight will leave because they they have a bit of a public duty to New Zealanders to get them home. But Hawaiian Airlines doesn't have that duty, and I. I was sitting in my hotel really genuinely terrified that I wasn't going to be able to get home and not being able to get home in a crisis like this was really, really scary. I I didn't quite believe that I would be safe anywhere else except home. And, and yeah. So what did you do? I could, there was nothing I could do. I, I just went to the airport the next day as early as I possibly could. I think I got there almost four hours early and I just waited. And when I saw the, I went to the gate three and a half hours early or so. And when I saw that the plane was sitting at the gate, I was just so, so relieved, just a complete wave of relief. <laughs> Once the wheels left the ground in Honolulu, there were a few kind of claps and cheers and and people going, you know, oh God, thank God, you know, like we're actually going to be able to get home because that plane was almost full of Kiwis trying to get home from from various places in the world. Yeah, you know, you think, oh, really? What's a big deal? You're in Honolulu, you know, you'll be all right. It's It's just the health system, I think, you know, knowing that you're in a country that has what has been described by some medical professionals as a, a third world health system, I think is is what really gets you, you know, knowing that if I got sick there and wasn't well, knowing that it was going to cost me, you know, upwards of 30,000 US dollars to get treatment. Um, it really kind of sinks into you and makes you really, really thankful to, to be from New Zealand. And then what happened when you arrived back in New Zealand? When we got into New Zealand, it was pretty strict you walked off the plane and there was a woman there checking people's temperatures to make sure that they weren't sick she wasn't checking everyone's temperatures though she was only seemingly checking the temperatures of people who were elderly i saw her check about three people's temperatures and they were all kind of 65 plus by by the looks of it you then went into a line uh, where health officials were and there was red tape on the ground Uh, two meters apart to kind of tell everyone this is where you stand and this is where the person in front of you stands so that you can keep your distance while you're waiting in line so you're not just squished up against each other and kind of defeating the purpose of the the whole checking thing the woman uh, who asked me about where I was going to self-isolate was very thorough she made sure that I knew what my responsibilities were and what I needed to do There, there was no chance of me leaving the airport after my arrival not knowing what I had to do they were very 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 thorough and very strict and even after you went through the first uh, extraordinary check the new check you went to the usual immigration check and and even then there when the woman you know stamped my passport let me back home she even double checked you know do you know what you have to do has it all been explained to you um so yeah it, it was very thorough but what happened, Zach, because you were had arranged to go somewhere? Yeah, I had arranged some other accommodation, but uh, at the last minute, it, uh, the, the people who I was supposed to be staying with, they decided that it wasn't safe for me to isolate there. I think that the Prime Minister closing the borders really made the gravity of the situation sink in for a lot of people and even sink in further, perhaps, than it, than it might be, that... Um, when I got into New Zealand, uh, I needed to go stay at a hotel because that accommodation fell through. 
and it was late at night it was 11 p.m and so one of the doors that i needed to open because i had to go through the the back way i couldn't use the hotel lobby and it was locked they the hotel manager forgot that it locked automatically after 10 p.m so he had to come and let me in and i called him and he wouldn't he didn't want to come and let me in he didn't want to be even within 10 meters of me and for context i only went to honolulu it has less cases of COVID 19 than new zealand um, and I'm not sick at all. I don't have any symptoms. But even even so, he didn't want to come anywhere near me. He didn't want to touch anything that I had touched. He basically treated me like I had leprosy. And yeah, I think the Prime Minister closing the borders is, is what made that sink in for people. So you declared, or your girlfriend declared, that at, to the hotel that you had to self-isolate. Yeah. And that's why they, would, they wouldn't let you through the front door. You had to go around the back. Yeah, had to use the back door. Um, and there were a few other people in that hotel who were self-isolating as well, and they were all being told the same thing. You know, you can only use the back door. You can't use the lobby. You can't use the lifts and and all those sorts of things. And the, the hotel told me that the Ministry of Health has been, you know, in touch with them to make sure that they know what to do and how to do it. And, yeah, it sounds to me like the, the entire situation of people self-isolating in hotels is being really well organised. By, by both the hotels and by the Ministry of Health. Seems like they're doing a great job. And so then you came to our place yesterday. Yes, thank you so much. It's <laughs> no, okay, Zach. Um, you've been, what, a couple of days now in self-isolation. What does it feel like? Um, it feels really strange, to be honest, because it feels like nothing is really wrong and if you stay away from watching the news or stay away from talking to friends who are immersed in it it kind of feels like the world is just going on as normal and you're just in this weird situation where I can't see my friends can't see my family can't see my girlfriend and then you have to kind of keep reminding yourself that there is actually a really important reason as to why because otherwise you can kind of fall into a, a little trap where you forget and, and think, you know, oh, like, why am I in this? Why am I having to do this? And then you, you realise, you know, you know, actually, no, there is a, a deadly virus that is spreading all around the world and, and it is really incumbent on everybody to, to do their part and to stay in self-isolation. Well, since I spoke to Zach just yesterday morning, we're all now in the same boat, so I'll be able to keep a close eye on him from the window of my own isolation. That's it for today. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get the detail downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. We're not sure how this shutdown will affect us yet, but keep an eye on our Twitter feed or Facebook page for updates. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Paul Brislin and Zach Fleming. Mā te wā. So go, 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 go